At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. And we're rolling in three, two, one. Hello, hello, hello. Today we are doing a very special show. I have often had founders of this and authors of that on this show and PhDs and NHL superstars. Today we have something a little bit different. We have, we have the lived experience on the show today. So instead of just listening to me, we listen to a different lived experience and in a space that in a space that uh, is underserved on the show. Uh, because of my circle, I don't have a ton of caught friends, but I do have a few, and I have one on today. So we're going to be talking about the lived experience of the member of the RCMP who later became a member of the Sheriff's Department. Ron? Good to meet you, Mark. <laughs> We've been friends for a long time. Well, not a long time, but for a while, right? So, yeah, for, for a little while. Yeah, exactly. met, met at the dog park. Mm-hmm. And my life has never been the same since. So. <laughs> <laughs> Fucked you right up. Yeah. Well, it's good to see you, Ron. Thanks, And uh, I appreciate you being on here. It's not easy to come and uh, crack open the case mm-hmm. and, and let people have a peek, you yep. know, pull back the curtain. And again, it's whatever you're comfortable with. You know, mm-hmm. we're just talking here. No different than if we're talking at the dog park. Okay. But um, it's really great to have you on the show. And hopefully the RCMP members and other uh, members of other uh, police outfits mm-hmm. are going to tune in and, and get some value. That When you share a story and you share struggles, mm-hmm. you give other people uh, permission to seek help. Yeah. You know, and that is so critical. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, start with the basics, brother. Okay. You know, um, when did you go through depot? So I went through depot in the fall of 2000, graduated spring of 2001. I got my first posting in the Okanagan where I spent about five years there. Oh, uh, fuck. That's rough. Um, well, my posting was described as the May long weekend as a star's pistol of fighting drugs, murder, homicide, like the whole gamut of every sort of crime you could think of happened there. Um, and the finish line was September long weekend. It's literally like they took the air out of, out of my posting and everyone just left. And then after that, you're dealing with regular customers, like the, the homeless, the drug, you know, the drug addicted, those sort of things. And it was an interesting detachment to learn from. Um, I definitely learned a lot of things. Um, my trainer was a gentleman about my size, except probably about another foot tall or so. Standing next to him, I got called Mini Me. Um, <laughs> so yeah, James. And was, you're not a small guy. Yeah, and that's just it. Like whenever uh, my trainer and I would show up to a call, uh, there was very little uh, violence being. Uh, directed towards us because you see two mountain of a man coming through the door. You're not going to do anything stupid. So um, that was definitely a very interesting experience. And for me, I decided that my policing career would kind of go into the ERT field. So for those who don't know what ERT stands for, it's emergency, emergency response team. It's um, a SWAT team. SWAT team, whatever you guys want to call it. Yeah. Um, so um, I kind of gravitated in that direction, still remain on the GD side of things, which is general duty policing. So the guys you see in the cars taking the, the files and showing up for the break and enters and the domestics and those sort of things. So that was kind of my... How long were you hurt? I was hurt for about three years. So, and prior to that, I was... Uh, Did with, you have an attitude about it? Mm, my ex-wife... Hey, were you a cocky prick about it? <laughs> My ex-wife would say something about that. Um, <laughs> my uh, my ex-wife saw me in my ERT gear one day on a photo, and she uh, she was very impressed to see what she saw. But uh, I guess if it comes across as cocky and arrogant with um, that sort of image you put forward, then 
I guess you, you know I trained inert team, right? Yeah, like you're telling me about that stuff, <laughs> the rope stuff. So um, yeah. I remember I did my my training in Ottawa in Nepean, uh during the height of the summer for uh, for Ert, and we did the rappelling and stuff like that. So um, I realized very quickly that I probably wouldn't be doing a lot of rappelling, but as to pass the course, you need to repel. So I did my repelling, and uh, I don't think I ever did repelled after that in my operational side of things. But uh, that's because I didn't teach you. Yeah, exactly. Well, one day you have to get me back up and rope to get me that confidence back. So, Done deal. Yeah. Um, then after that, I went off to the Kootenays where I spent my last little bit there. I was in another detachment for about three years. Um, and then after that, I was having some issues with my career. And I was having some issues with my ex-wife. Um, we had some some turbulence. And I had to make a decision about what I wanted to do. It was either save my marriage or save my career. So I decided at the time that my marriage was much more important. So I had to make a very tough decision to leave the career I put so much time and effort into. And then to make that sacrifice for her. And then I found myself working here in the Calgary area for the traffic sheriffs. And I did my stint there with them and I was able to do some really good work. I was able to be uh, an acting supervisor for a bit. And then at one point the uh, duty sergeant for the entire province uh, in certain times of the evening. And then after that, um, I started to realize that my path was being, I want to use the word, not tainted or polluted, but there was something in the background that I would have anxiety attacks and it would just, it would come out of the blue and it would be earth shattering. Like my, my mind was racing. My, do you remember the first one? I was at, I think it was at my detachment and my last one and I was on the toilet and it just hit me. Like it came right out of the blue like that. And I remember just the absolute mind numbing fear of being there and having this going on and then trying to figure out how the fuck do I get out of this situation? You know, I've been in very violent conflicts. I've been in some very hairy situations. I remember one time I got flipped over by a 14 year old kid in cells who was high on meth. And at the time I was a pretty big solid dude. And that was a pretty scary situation. I remember he flipped me over and I'm looking up at him like this. And that was a very humbling situation, but Compared to this, um, it was, it rocked my world, like the very first time. And there's, you, you didn't see it coming, it came out of nowhere? It did. Like, I was literally, I showed up to work one day, and after that, my whole world changed. Like, everything just turned on a dime. Um, my confidence basically bled out. My ability to handle adversity basically sunk those. Your cup, it's because your cup was full. Oh, exactly. Um, I remember... <laughs> Um, watching the the TLC thing about the 1992 Los Angeles, North, North Los Angeles shooting. And they talked to one guy and he said, you know, when you become a police officer, your bucket's empty. But as you spend more and more time in policing, that your bucket gets full and eventually it spills over. So I'd have to say at that point, that's where I was. Things were spilling over. And for me, that was the biggest thing is that I realized that something was going on, but I couldn't put my finger on exactly what it was. I thought, I can not go through this. I've been through worse. I can deal with this. You know, I went to the hospital. They gave me out of van. After, so. after your very first anxiety attack, did, did, were you thinking, hmm, I wonder if this is a trauma injury or like, what did you think of it? What did you put that in your mind? I really couldn't put my finger on Mark. I, I didn't know where it came from. It was just, the, it came out of the blue, but, you know, it would be like I twisted my ankle. Okay, great. It, it hurts for a while. Did you connect the, docs, the dots to your service? Like, um, this panic attack is a accumulation of the job that I do? At the time, no. Um, yeah. It took me, my path took me a long while to get to that conclusion where my body and my mind were saying, something's wrong and you need to deal with it. And if you don't, then bad things are going to happen. So, yeah. yeah. What was the first time that you actually reached out for for help? So it was my sergeant, my other detachment. Um, he got me in contact with a gentleman here in Calgary. So we went through, you know, what's going on in my background and those sort of things. And he said, you have an anxiety attack. 
um, and is probably related to your service in uniform. I maintained therapy with this gentleman from my time in the RCMP when I left till the time I was in the sheriffs. So I was able to get a better idea what to expect. When you first heard that, Ron, did you accept it and go, oh, okay, that makes sense? Or did you fight it and go like, oh, no, not me, man. This guy's full of shit. I kind of bounced between two camps, between this is something I can get through, fuck it. I'll, I'll just deal with it. As it Power through. Up. Power through. Um, and the other part was like, okay, well, we now speak truth to what's going on in my world and what does the future look like? And I guess for me, the biggest thing was the biggest anxiety is what does the next attack look like? What does the next year look like for me? You know, what does my personal life look like? What does my business, my professional life look like carrying this rock with me? So for the biggest part of that was, you know, how the fuck do I get myself unwound? Um, How do I get myself out of this mess? Only to realize that there is no magical bullet, quote unquote, to get yourself out of the mess. It's, I'm pretty certain you'll probably hear this more than once that it's a journey that, you know, it's not simply point A to point B and at the end of point B, you're cured. Um, I know for me, it is going to be a lifelong struggle. I know for me, it's going to be a, it's going to be that rock I'm going to carry with me for a long time, probably for the end of my days. Sometimes you get fucked in a moment. Sometimes, especially in uh, uniform services, it takes a while. It's cumulative. Mm. But either way, once you're fucked, getting unfucked is, it's a goddamn chore. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. You know, which is why one of the reasons the suicide rate is as high as it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is that, have you wrestled with su- suicidal ideations? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm not saying anything that has been disclosed to those who need to hear it. Um, yeah. And it's that it's that elf in the room that people don't talk about with police, um, about those who take that that decision. Like I've known probably at least four uh, RCMP members that have killed themselves. Yeah. And with their service pistol, usually, or yeah, um, one guy took his uh, took an eight seventy shotgun and you know did the old. Uh, pink canoe on his head so you know i'm surprised that he would do that because he's seen that before you know like all uh, all you guys have seen somebody with the bat like uh, that have, that's eating a shotgun and the fucking mess that that is mm-hmm. uh i think about myself if i ever do it um you know how can i do it that it's uh because i don't want to put that on the first responders i don't want to yeah. fuck them over right by making this uh, mess and having another um mm-hmm brain and bones skull splatter all over the wall yeah yeah i I got some idea what that might look like yeah and um uh so i i I actually take that into account Mm -hmm. you know and just like well i want to be you know decent to the to to these people so i'll just open my wrists and and have a nap and no big fucking deal yeah i'll make sure it's nice and tidy and you know so it's not too upsetting to anybody Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm still thinking even in the idea of taking my own life still thinking about other people yeah well i remember when i first started my my treatment the guy said how's this going to look with your your wife at the time um, when she sees you, you know, with a hole in your head and she's sitting there slamming her fist on your coffin, you know, wondering what they could have done. So, yeah, it's, it's, I would say that's probably for me, one of the reasons why I haven't gone down that path is like you said, I'm going to be putting that upon the poor bastard that comes to the door and sees me there with missing my head or a good big hole in my head or whatever. Yeah. You know, I couldn't do that to another brother. I just couldn't. Yeah, that's that sense of solidarity because you you know what it's like to come across it and to see it. Yeah, yeah. you know, and to see it, um, and it's somebody that you know. Mm-hmm. It, it's even tougher. Yeah, because the guilt that comes in, like I, I could have, should have, would have. Yeah, you know. But that's why these conversations are so fucking important, Ron. Mm-hmm. Right? Because you and I are talking very frankly about yeah, I have given. Uh, countless hours of serious consideration to um, mm-hmm. uh, to punching out, you know, to punching my own ticket. Yeah. And so have you. And if we don't talk about that openly without using euphemisms, yeah. right, then um, then it's, oh, we're hiding it. Oh, we're embarrassed. Oh, we're yeah. ashamed. Yeah. It's like, ashamed of what? Uh, did you take a dump this week? I've taken a dump this week. Like, everybody takes a dump. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at least I hope so, you know. Um, but... 
it's something that that we that we share so it's fucking talk about it mm-hmm. and by talking about it it does something about the stigma yeah exactly when you bring it out into the light it can't hide in the dark and fester um any person who at one point in life hasn't thought about killing themselves is an absolute liar i mean that's you you question your your morality or your mortality sometimes um you know it's would life be better if I just wasn't here? Those sort of things, those questions go through your head. And anyone who says different is a liar, flat out. You so. know, I, I think it might be surprised. I, um, I, I've heard from a lot of people that it's never occurred to them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I believe them when I hear it. Mm-hmm. But um, from those that have been in extreme situations repeatedly, yeah. like you and I and so many others, because mm-hmm. of our uh, chosen professions of yep. sacrifice. And those, they are, they're all, all uniform services mm-hmm. are professions of sacrifice. Yep. yep. And, uh, you know, oh, the glory, you know, I got a cool badge. Yeah, actually, the badge is pretty fucking cool. Yeah. But um, uh, I had a hat badge. Does that count? It counts, uh, yeah. It's a piece of tin, so it's your badge, It's right? a piece of tin. I just yeah. wore mine my, above my left eye. Uh, but, um, you know, that type of stuff is kind of cool. But they're all um, sacri- uh, uh, professions of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. But most, so many people that are in the profession that are able to survive, and uh, they don't understand until they've been out for 20 years sometimes mm-hmm. what what sacrifice they actually made oh, exactly because they don't have the perspective yeah. to see it because they haven't been out long enough yeah i've been out forever mm-hmm. since 95 and it's enough now that i can look back and go oh yeah and that's, that's what that was when you when you finally get out of that morass you realize how toxic that environment is but when you're in it you you really literally can't see the forest from the trees you're, and you can enjoy it yeah and laugh about it yeah there's that you know that uh was it that graveyard humor you talk about you yeah know. graveyard humor gallows humor yeah exactly yeah. and that is you know it, it is a coping mechanism um and you know i still you know talk with people like you about those sort of things. And I know that I can talk with people who have that similar background about the last time I took a body off the road, um, yeah. you know, next to notifications, uh, those sort of things. And that trauma, you can speak to the truth of it, but you can also say, listen, to make it stink less, here's a funny story about, you know, this. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I can, I would like to backtrack on the whole, you know, suicidal ideation thing about people who have those thoughts. And I'd have to say, I just came to that conclusion as you're talking that since you and I are in that circle of the uniform, that those who are there, maybe they have those thoughts more often, who knows. Um, but we can, you know, when they come up, they they do. Um, and just, I would have to say, not accept them, but acknowledge them that you are having these thoughts and don't be embarrassed by them. Yeah, I mean, they, exactly. they happen. And, uh, if it's just a glancing thought, mm-hmm. th- then you're like, huh, that, that's, that seems like a reasonable solution to this. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> that, uh, you know, that's dangerous enough by itself, but yep. if you're obsessed by those thoughts all day, every day, like I was for a very long time, mm-hmm. Um, like constantly, yeah. constantly thinking about opening up my wrists or driving into an embutment or mm-hmm. uh, doing a head-on with a semi yeah. or, uh, or or something, like yeah. constant. I couldn't get it out of my fucking head. Yeah. And um, that's, you can't sit with that. You have to get help. Oh, exactly. And that professional help is out there, but you have to be able to accept the fact that one, you got a problem, and then two, get a plan to deal with that problem. And if that means you have to go seek professional help, then absolutely go do it. Um, there will be a toll on your life. I can tell you after my, yeah. <laughs> Jesus I mean, Christ, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, we can both agree that, you know, when you're in counseling, you're in the meat grinder. I'll call it for what it is. It's a meat grinder. Yeah, it is. Um, I remember a couple of times walking out from the OSI clinic here in Calgary, soaked in sweat. Um, or completely exhausted. Like I'd walk to the nearest Starbucks and grab a coffee because I was so exhausted from that experience about having to go over all these traumas that I've experienced and, you know, try and put, trying to put some sort of sense into them and trying to figure out, okay, it happened. Yes. Um, and then the biggest thing would be how to, um, how to deal with it long-term. And the biggest thing would be, yeah, I mean, there are bad things that happen in the world. No one can stop that. Um, and the toll it takes on you for your life, uh, that it is going to happen. Uh, and if you don't 
deal with that or acknowledge that it's still in the background. You know, it's like a, uh, like a fire that's burning underneath, you know, underneath the ground. It's still there. It's still burning. And at some point it's going to come up. The, uh, one of the challenges, we just talked about this in the last, uh, show with Dr. Rob Tangway and Theo, but, um, we know cognitively mm-hmm. to detach ourselves, to look at those scenes and those memories or those live experiences as they're happening as an observer from a, from a 30,000 foot perspective, yep. Yep. not as a participant. Mm-hmm. So we know that cognitively, but actually fucking doing it, especially, you know, uh, so many cops, if they do a full 30 year career kind of deal, they're going to see between two and 500 uh, mangled bodies, oh, exactly. you know, give or take in that, in that, in that uh, arena. That's a lot of carnage. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a lot of images in your head. Yeah. That's a lot of dead, mangled kids with mm-hmm. their, you know, um, just the worst scenes. Yeah. And um, to remain an observer without being a psychopath is, you know, if you have any empathy at all, it's really tough to not be a participant. It is. And yeah. to not feel the pain of others. Mm-hmm. It's it's really tough. Yeah. And which is why alcoholism is so fucking rampant. Oh, exactly. And... You know, as you got to know each other, I, I told you I no longer drink for that very reason. Um, I found that it it did one of two things: it numbed my mind, but it sometimes put rocket boosters on the problem. Yeah. So for me, the biggest thing was okay, what can I do to mitigate? What can I do to lessen the sting of everything that's going on in my world? And I haven't touched booze in probably almost three years. And you know, everyone asked me, "How did you stop?" and my only answer is, is I had to stop. Um, I had to make a very, very important decision. And I realized that one less rock on my back was drinking. Oh, such a good way to put it. Yeah. So for me, um, for those out there who are drinking the self-medicate, man, um, it will work short term. Not going to lie. I, I saw a lot for of sure. guys. Yeah. I mean, we both know uh, ex-CF members, serving CF members, ex-police officers, serving police officers who get done for impaired. Um they they make a choice to have a few drinks and go for a drive. And God forbid if something happens, then that's, I hate to say it, but that's on them. So After my tour, uh, a friend of mine who just finished his third tour was my one and only tour. And uh, he was driving downtown Calgary, mm-hmm. drunk, hit and killed a woman. Right. Uh, wrecked his life. Yeah. Uh, he... He's such a good, good man mm-hmm. that, of course, he's never forgiven himself for it. Yeah. And, um, and he's just, what, what, like, everybody loves this fucking guy. Yeah. Okay? Everybody loves him mm-hmm. because he's such a great dude. And his life was the military. Like, he was a career guy. He was a lifer yeah. all day long. Yeah. Uh, he'd probably still be in. And, um, but he killed that woman. Yeah. And the the army kicked him out and didn't forgive himself and that's it. And uh last I had a chance to visit him a few years ago and he's changing oil on cars at Walmart. Yeah. You know, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not shitting on that at all, not even a little. Yeah. But uh this is a man who had a very very bright career uh, against uh, ahead of him. Mm-hmm. You know, he was he was like the just a perfect soldier. Yeah. And um Dealing with that, you know, there's a lifetime consequence mm-hmm. because of the bottle. Yeah. It's the bottle that created the lack of judgment that put him behind the wheel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But before the bottle was the unprocessed trauma. Yeah. Exactly. And so we unconsciously go to what's socially access, uh, acceptable, mm-hmm. which is a bottle, right, to, yeah. to, to deal with something that we don't even know that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. It just, we just do it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that old school policing is that either you, either you, you fuck your way out of the problem or you drink away out of the problem. Um, maybe we still see a bit of that with the old school mentality. It's like, listen, suck it up, buttercup, keep rolling, keep taking calls, keep doing what you're doing. But again, that fire is still burning underneath your feet and it's still there and it's not going away. And there's not enough whiskey in the world to scrub out whatever's going on inside you, period. Not enough pussy either oh exactly you know uh that was my addiction i didn't know it i just thought i was a stud yeah (laughs) you know it's like no not a stud i was i was in pain yeah i was in a great deal of pain 
You know that um, it's funny. Uh, uh, I actually want to learn more about sex addiction. All I know is that I had it uh, mm-hmm. and I beat it. Yeah. Um, but an addiction is something that is is compulsive. Mm-hmm. You can't stop, and um, and causes harm. Yep, exactly. It's compulsive and 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 it causes causes harm to yourself or others. Mm-hmm. And that was one hundred percent me and and being a flanderer back then. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and, but and it, just like drinking or any other addiction, it it creates a negative feedback loop. Exactly. A death spiral. Yeah. Because okay, I'm already not feeling great about myself, so I'm participating in this activity that's hurting others and myself. Mm-hmm. Um, broken hearts and, and uh, venereal diseases and everything else, yep. you know, that, that goes with it. And um, uh, this harm is happening. And now I feel kind of shitty mm-hmm. that uh, I'm the catalyst for this harm. Oh, exactly. You know, so now I'm feeling even shittier about myself. So I need to now need even to compensate even more and mm-hmm. medicate even more. Uh-oh, yeah. you're an addict. Mm-hmm. And getting out of that uh, uh, cycle is... You know, and when people say rock bottom, I think that spot is realizing that I know I can't stop, but I have to stop or I'm going to die. Oh, exactly. And my brother and I had this conversation about what would happen if I remained in policing. And he said, you probably would have been charged with some sort of crime or you probably would have killed yourself. And um, to speak truth to that, that's probably one of the outcomes if I remained in uniform. Um, Again, getting back to, you know, what we touched on, you know, it wasn't until after I got out how how fucked up things were both myself professionally and personally to realize that those problems are there and they've been put on the back burner and they've been covered by whiskey and they've been covered by, this is something I could just deal with. Fuck it. Move on. Um, it got to the point where that rock got so big that it wasn't allowing me to move on. I was chained to that rock. So on my drive up here, I was realizing what sort of example or metaphor, whatever you want to call it that could describe the situation that's, you know, you, you carry out of these, out of these times in uniform is you're tied to a one ton rock with a chain around every part of your body. And you're never, ever going to get rid of the rock, the rock, but you're going to chip away at parts of it. Once you acknowledge that you have a problem. And then once you seek help, be it professionally, personally, however, and you keep chipping away at that rock, but the rock's still going to always be there. And you have to realize that that rock will probably suck less. It's going to be still chained to you, but it's going to suck less. And for me, I'd have to say sucking less is better than sucking more. You know what I mean? There's a balance between acknowledging that this is a lifelong struggle and the idea that healing happens. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they sound like antithetical ideas, but they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, healing does happen. It does. Things do get more manageable. Yeah. Life th- does get better mm-hmm. uh, w- with work. And... Uh, it might not be a lifelong struggle anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, the show that I just had on is about the ketamine clinic that's going to be opening up uh, in Calgary, then Fredericton, and across the country, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And that ke- called The Newly. Mm-hmm. And the idea is, and there's some good uh, research behind it, mm-hmm. that you can achieve true healing and, and actually right the ship. Yeah. Uh, so that's exciting stuff mm-hmm. because it beats the fuck out of conventional therapy and the grind that that is, because mm-hmm. that is, it's a beating. Oh, it is. Absolutely it is. Um, I know when I took my, my treatment with at the OSI that the thing that really kind of rocked my world, I was told that I'd probably be on medication for the rest of my life. And for me, that was that was a, a, a clarion moment. I went, okay, well, there's my rock. And, you know, am I happy being on medication? No, I'm not. But the guy that was treating me was telling me that, listen, the alternative is you will go right back to all the negative behaviors that you're in and we'll see you back here maybe in a year's time, a couple of years time. And all the work we did will be flushed down the toilet. So, you know, I guess for me, that is my price to pay for wearing that uniform is that these problems, that rock, those medications will be on me. Um, so for that part, I guess, you know, for those who are considering policing or any sort of uniform, you know, I think that there should be that conversation like, listen, it's going to take a toll on you both mentally and physically. You're going to probably sacrifice your youth, your mind, your body um, about these things. And to put on that uniform is the probably the deepest commitment you can have towards society. 
So, yeah, I mean. Do you still have relationships with people that are still serving members of the Mounties or the sheriffs? I try and keep in contact with them, but um, I think the toughest thing is when sometimes I'm trying to reconnect with my my former brothers that sometimes open up old wounds. Um, I know one guy that I work with, he was part of the whole Marathorpe tragedy. And, you know, him and I had a few whiskeys and we got to talking about all the stuff that happened. And I remember when I went through Depot, I shook Leo Johnson's hand in the halfway party. Sorry, the, the uh, when the troop number changes over, the troop below you changes their number on top of the plaque in the drill hall. So, and I only remember that because Leo Johnson beat me out in the rifle qualification. So for a week, I was top shot at Depot with, nice. with the 308 rifle. So, um, and now so, your girlfriend shoots better than you. Yeah. So we had, <laughs> <laughs> we had a, a bit of a quote unquote trust exercise when I went forward to paste up some targets. And I left her with all the rifles and the ammo and I'm thinking to myself, all right, well, I didn't do a quick check on her to see where she's at and if she's angry at me. So if you hear that bolt cracking over my head, it's like, all right, I fucked up on something. Yeah, hopefully so. better over your head than in your ass. <laughs> exactly. So I've been worried about other areas getting shot out, not my ass. So. <laughs> Oh, fuck. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it's, it's, it is a journey and, you know, to, I guess, whether you want to go on that journey or not is up to you. But I think for me, the alternative would be, um, you probably will do something that you're going to regret. Um, be it you drive home drunk one day and got a bit, just like your friend in Calgary who smoked that old lady or that lady, um, or you're like one of the four members I knew that killed themselves. They got into that dark spot and they couldn't get out. Yeah. Or they feel they couldn't get out and they couldn't find help. And then they they did what they did. And I remember one of the guys I worked with on traffic sheriffs. Um, he was saying that suicide is a temporary solution to a long-term problem. Yeah. yeah, that's not how you're thinking when you're in it, though. No, when you're in it. When, when you're in the mud, there's no rationale. No. All there is is extreme tired, extreme fatigue. It's like having a bus on your back. Yep. And um, and all you want is to go to sleep. Oh, exactly. You just want it to end. Yeah. And uh, you just want rest and respite, mm-hmm. uh, um, some relief. That's that's all you care because you're just too fucking tired no. to, to, to keep fighting. Oh, exactly. And that's, um, but again, even from that darkest, darkest place, mm-hmm. there is light. There is, yeah. There is light. So tell me about your routine. What keeps you level? So I practice meditation um, a couple times during the day. Um, I find that I concentrate more on my hobbies. I'll admit it right now. I'm a Star Wars fan. As you can see, I got my Star Wars. You're such a fucking nerd. I know exactly. So um, I find that working out and maintaining some sort of physical activity is very important. Um, I find that that provides routine in my life right now as I'm looking for work, uh, for any opportunities to you know, not to sit in the house and sit on my ass because I've told my girlfriend this, like, you know, uh, am I sore and tired after I run? Yes. I mean, I'm a big boy. I'm not designed to run. I do it anyways. <laughs> You're built for comfort, not speed. Exactly. So <laughs> I was told uh, during my ER training that I was part of the diesel section. So we're all power. We're not all speed. So, um, but I've told her many times, like, listen, I would much rather be in shape and sore and tired than some fat slob on a couch, eating cookies, playing video games to all times in the hour. They are good cookies. They though. are, yes. So I'm going to have another one. Exactly. So I find that that routine allows me to have some sort of normalcy in my life. Um, will that change once I find some sort of employment? Yes, it will. Um, I think um, if you do some sort of physical activity, it will help in, in dividends. I don't care if it's you take your dog for a walk or you just walk to the mailbox back and forth, whatever, but get out and do something. Just don't sit there and you know just be the lump on the coach. Um, so for me, my, my day revolves around that. And then, you know, um, of course going to the dog park, um, is, is mental health therapy. Um, I know when I first started my, my treatment, my dog Odin was, yeah, he was my rock. And I remember a couple of times where I would be sitting on the couch and I didn't want to do anything. And you got this dog whining and that dog forces you to get out and do the walks and to do the things. And, you know, um, I remember when I first started walking for the first maybe a couple hundred meters, I was just wound up. I was angry. I was tired. But at the end of the walk, I'm going, oh, 
I feel like I had something lifted off my back. And, you know, when you see the dogs, it's the complete unbridled joy they have going around the park. There are no bad days. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of my routine. And for me, I find that trying to maintain that routine is what keeps you sane and grounded and anchored. So you're not just, you know, well, nothing's going on right now. I'm bored. I'm going to start drinking. Um, those sort of things. My listeners have heard me say it a million times, but recovery is an activity, not an event. You have to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got to be a habit. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, being unhealthy is a habit. Being healthy is a habit. Yeah. Uh, you are the sum of your habits. So choose your habits wisely because we all have them. No, exactly. It's, um, I was going to ask you, do you have the uh, sobriety app on your phone? I do not, know. Well, we'll, download, we'll do, download that after the show here. I got it on mine. Theo whipped his out and uh, showed me his 5,000 days and <laughs> whipped mine out. We compared traumas. And uh, the the 13 months that I'm going on here sober as well. Yeah. But it's a, it's a little win, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, it's a part of the consistency. Because not doing something every day is just as valuable as doing something every day. Yeah, exactly. So you, you look at the app, you see that win on there, mm-hmm. and you're like, look at me go. Yeah. Look at all these days in a row that, that I did the right behavior. Because mm-hmm. yeah. not doing something is still a decision. It is... St- not doing something is still doing something. Yeah, exactly. It is a behavior. Mm-hmm. Same with tracking your workouts, with yep. uh, tracking how much you're walking with a Fitbit. Yeah. All of it. You know, make sure that um, that it is a regular habit, minimum three times a week, mm-hmm. whatever that is, yeah. and um, that you don't skip a week. Yeah. Well, to bear my soul to, uh, to the podcast nation, I mean, uh, this week has been a bit of a hit and miss on the runs. So I try and follow the, the, the program we had set out in Depot, which is three cardios a week with two weights. So, um, I've been trying to maintain that, but with the, you know, the crappy weather we've been getting here, it's like, okay, I'm just going to go downstairs and work out. So, <laughs> so yeah, I have to, I have to admit that my runs have been suffering as of late, but you know, it's once you get into that mindset and you get into that, it's like, okay, I got to get the run done. And then as long as it's something, if yeah. it's, if it's one set of arm curls, if yeah. it's one, if it's five pushups, it's more important to do a little bit of something mm-hmm. than a lot of nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, even a little bit of something is good. Yeah. Another pro, uh, um, positive habit, I've been learning French. J'étudie français chaque jour mm-hmm. avec Duolingo. So I'm, I'm learning French every day, every day. I got, I think I'm 173 day streak now in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want it to be a two year streak. That's my commitment to myself. Yeah. Every day for two years. Because mm-hmm. at the end of that, I'll probably be talking French, yeah. you know, poorly. But I'll be doing it, and that's a lot better than what I'm doing now. So and you then, won't be getting like your level C's on French French language training. You'd be pr- like, probably not. <laughs> you know, but, uh, but that's okay. You know, if I can understand and be understood, mm-hmm. that's my goal. And uh, once I get there, we'll see if I set a fresh. Uh, if I want to go all the way to fluency, yeah. You know, it'll either be go all the way to fluency or pick up another language. But yep. the point is, it's a positive habit in mm-hmm. my life that I do every day, just like brushing your teeth. Yep, exactly. You know, and that shit really needs to be the meter. Do I mm-hmm. brush my teeth every day? Fucking pat yourself on the back. Good for you. You're not yeah. stinky every day. You know, same as making your bed mm-hmm. every day, not every other day. Yep. Every day, make your bed, brush your teeth. These are positive habits that make you feel just a little bit better about yourself. Exactly. You know, same as the sobriety app, same mm-hmm. as Duolingo. If you're taking positive steps every fucking day, mm-hmm. that's how you build your self-esteem by achieving something. Yeah, exactly. And making your bed and brush your teeth is an achievement. Yeah, exactly. You know, especially when you're suffering from depression. Mm-hmm. It can be a major fucking thing. Well, that's just it, right? I mean, uh, Jordan Peterson touched on that, you know, uh, make your bed. And when those sort of things come forward, like, yeah, you're right. It starts building up that, you know... Yeah, it's a small victory, but it's a victory. Instead of being in a you know a whirlwind of shit all the time, or a whirlwind of you know fuck, I'm not going to make my bed. I'm just not feeling all that great. I'm just I'm just going to sit here and mope and just be a, a lump on the log. I mean, you can't do that. So it's an exi- uh, it's an example of control mm-hmm. as well that yep. you can look back and look at my self control. Look at my self-discipline. I made my fucking bed. Yep. When I didn't want to, that's the most important. Oh, exactly. Right? If you have a burning desire to to make your bed, well, you know, it's still not bad, but it's not an accomplishment. If you're like, oh, fuck, 
but you do it anyway, yep. hey, that's a win. Just like working out. Yep. The most important time to work out is when you feel like it the least. And if you can work out when you fucking don't feel like it, when mm-hmm. you would rather be doing anything but, now you're winning. That's that's discipline. And that was last week. Um, I know I told the girlfriends, like, listen, let's go do the run. I'm not going to be breaking any world records, but let's go do it. My body fought me every step of the way. But afterwards, like, all right, we did it. Um, You know, as I told you before, my my motto is never let fear or common sense get in the way of anything. So um, (laughs) it's... Yeah, I mean that's it takes that Herculean effort when your body and everything and your soul and your your existence says fuck it, let's not do it today but to have that little glowing emerald in the back of your head says no you are fucking doing it and too fucking bad you're going so you know that you know keep going keep advancing keep moving forward I mean that's I think that's the mindset of people in our world that we kind of delve onto it's like listen you have to keep moving forward you have to keep doing and if you don't then you're probably going to fall behind. And I think discipline, if I was going to define it, I would call it a decision mm-hmm. in reinforced by commitment mm-hmm. and integrity, mm-hmm. right? It's integrity to yourself. If you're keeping a promise to yourself and nobody's looking and nobody's checking up on you, mm-hmm. that's true integrity because it's internal integrity. If you're doing it because, uh, like people talk about their accountability partners and those are important. Mm. Uh, and it's good. And if you need an accountability partner, do it. You know, that's a good tool for the toolbox. But uh, that internal discipline is true character where you are your accountability partner. Yeah. And you can be your own accountability partner by having the courage to make the fucking decision. I'm learning French. Yeah. Fuck it. I'm learning it. And that's that. Now, the integrity mm-hmm. to make that commitment, to maintain it. To do it every damned day with no excuses, period. And I don't care. My goal isn't to learn uh, French in six months. Mm -hmm. My real goal is to learn it. I don't give a rat's ass if it takes me two years, five years. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to learn it, period, because I said so. The other tool is what I just did, which is tell somebody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell somebody you're going to do it, you know, do it on social media, you know, instead of uh, posting a cat video or I'm so mad at uh, the world video mm-hmm. uh, or meme, yep. post a meme of I've made this promise. I'm going to keep this fucking promise mm-hmm. and then post it. Yep. You know, I post my sobriety um, uh, clock every now and then on uh, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Look at me go. But it's not uh, for the external affirmation, because I I know I'm doing it regardless. But it's to inspire others, which it has, Mm -hmm. uh, to 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 do the same. Just like Jocko Willink with his watch. Here's a picture of my watch. Four thirty in the morning. Go get some. Yeah, exactly. Same idea. Well, that man's a beast. Like he, you know, starts every morning probably you know a thousand miles per hour. But he is a driven, committed individual, and you know. Um, I've seen a few... Uh, He's disciplined. Exactly. He's disciplined. Yeah. So you see that commitment and that desire to keep going forward. And, you know, those are examples that should be held out. There's like, listen, yeah, you're going to have shitty days. I know last week the girlfriend had to uh, almost drag me out for the run and to get me out going. But, you know, you talk about that accountability. Uh, sometimes you need that person to say, yeah, I know you suck. I know you're hurting, but let's go out and do it. Well, what Jocko teaches, there's a difference between having drive as mm-hmm. this internal thing or having motivation. Because I hear people use this as the talking themselves out of it. Oh, I just don't have that kind of drive like that guy has. I just mm-hmm. don't have that kind of motivation. I wish I had that motivation like, like they do. No, fuckers. Mm-hmm. That's not what it is. They made a decision and it's discipline and commitment. Yeah. That's what it is. It's not drive. Mm-hmm. It's not motivation. You know, motivation fades. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like your deodorant. It only lasts so long. Yeah, exactly. And, um, uh, but discipline and a decision doesn't fade. Mm-hmm. If you make the decision that this is what I'm doing, this is who I am, no. this, and, then, and you commit to it, and you have the internal integrity to fucking stick to it, then that becomes who you are. Mm-hmm. And then you know what happens? A positive feedback loop. We talked about a negative feedback loop earlier. The positive feedback loop of, hey, I pushed through when it was hard. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm getting better shape. 
Yep. Hey, this feels good. This feels good because of my self-discipline, because I actually did what I said I was going to do, mm-hmm. which means I have integrity. Hey, I like having integrity. I'm going to continue to have integrity yep. and, and, and treat myself properly. How fucking fantastic is this? Yep. And it keeps going because you don't want that feeling to end. Oh, exactly. That feeling of self-esteem and confidence. You don't want it to end. So you stay in the positive feedback loop, mm-hmm. you know, and then... Undoubtedly, when people fall out of it and they and back into a negative feedback loop, it's that self-awareness piece of, oh, I'm, I'm not a piece of shit because I'm breaking a promise to myself. I just fell into a negative feedback loop. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, how do you get out of a negative feedback loop? Stop yeah. and replace it with the positive feedback loop. And then remember and be mindful of, okay, I forgive myself. I fell into the negative feedback loop. Yeah. Now, I have chosen to get back on the horse into the positive feedback loop and try to remember a little bit better this time (laughs) to stay in the positive feedback loop Mm -hmm. and enjoy what it is to be a self-disciplined person who actually does what he says he's going to do and looks after himself. Exactly. And, you know, the whole self-care thing would kind of come into the conversation about, you know, if you're going to sit there on the couch and do nothing, then... Yeah, I mean, that's a choice that's being made, and there will be consequences for that choice. Um, for me, the biggest thing is, you know, it's it's a routine, but there's a payoff for that. You know, after you finish your run, after you finish your work, I go, you know, I feel a lot better now. I feel like I have I have accomplished something. I got to just wake up, drink coffee, and, you know, do something. You're, you're doing something that's both for yourself and maybe, well, for yourself, both mentally and physically. And... You know, do I want to run every every time when I look outside and it's blowing snow or, or driving rain? No, I don't. But I know once that is accomplished, I realize that, yes, it sucked, but I did it. And you know. This is why, and a big part of part two of my coaching program that I'm building is self-love. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not talking about beating off in the bathroom, you know. <laughs> Thanks for the visual. Uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, you're welcome. But um, the... Uh, you only can rise to your level of self-concept. Mm-hmm. If you think you're a bag of shit, you will treat yourself like a bag of shit and you will look like a bag of shit. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, uh, if, you th- if you decide, I am worthy of love mm-hmm. uh, from others and, and, and most importantly, from myself, yeah. which is not easy. But if you can get there, then you will treat yourself accordingly. Mm-hmm. You know, or at least it's a lot easier to treat yourself accordingly. It is, yeah. It is tough to treat yourself well if you think you don't deserve to be treated well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because we, we have to look at ourselves like uh, two people, mm-hmm. you know, and, and look at ourselves as a, as a stranger in need that needs help. Well, I would help that stranger in need. Why would I do the same for myself? Exactly. Well, maybe that's just it. As, you know, sometimes you give a lot to others, but then you don't realize you're giving anything to yourself. And, you know, maybe there's that... Um, that deficit going on in you is like, listen, I put myself out there for everyone else, but am I also looking after myself in the same process? And, you know, sometimes maybe you get lost, you realize like, oh crap, I haven't worked out in a long time. I haven't studied my French in, in, a, in a couple of days because I'm having all this shit going on here. So the biggest thing would be like, okay, let's, let's circle back and let's start dealing with me first. Um, I can't remember this ties into a thing we were taught in depot that, uh, you know, police officer presence is is paramount for safety because if the police officer is hurt, injured, or killed, then no one's there to deal with the situation. So, uh, for me, that's kind of another guiding principle is that you know you once long you have to look after yourself, and if you don't, then it like I said, that fire burning underneath your feet, it's going to get you. It's the oxygen mask on the airplane. Yeah, you know, exactly. anybody that's been on the plane, you put it on yourself before your kids. You fight your natural instinct to look after others first and you look after yourself first because mm-hmm. if you don't look after yourself first you can't look after others and you'll kill your kids yep. by not looking after yourself yeah so put the oxygen mask on yourself then the kids yeah and that never changes in your entire life if you don't the better you look after yourself the more you love yourself mm-hmm. the greater your capacity to love and look after others exactly um you know uh, i remember talking with a few of my my colleagues or my brothers and you know they're talking about some of the shit going on in the world and if they were to call me up and say listen ron um yeah i know it's 3 30 in the morning but i'm having a rough time i would say where are you can i come get you or can we go for a coffee or anything like that and 
Um, I remember my friend in the Okanagan uh, served in the U.S. military, and we got to talking about our perspective journeys, and he said there would be times where I couldn't sleep, that he would drive from Kelowna all the way to Golden to grab a coffee because he just couldn't sleep. And, you know, if you were to say, listen, I'm having a shitty situation here, I would say, okay, I'm driving. Um, let me know where you are in, say, six, seven hours. I'm driving, and I'll come out there. So, And I'm pretty, I guess it was a high degree of certainty he would do the same for me if I recall, like, listen, I'm having a shit time here. Things are not going well. He'll be out here drive time from, from Kelowna. So, you know, that would be something that, you know, once you serve in that area with the uniform, that if one of your brothers comes up and says, listen, I'm hurting, you're like, fuck it. What can we do? What can we do to help you out? What do you need? You know, those sort of things. And to, to be that rock is good. But at some point as well, you have to realize that maybe sometimes that rock needs to be um, examined and if you feel like you're going to be sliding down, you're not helping anyone else. Like I said, the example of the air mask on the uh, on the airplane, if you don't put it on first, you ain't helping no one, brother. You're just going to be a liability. That's true. Yeah. Ron, I think we're about there, brother. And um, I'm going to put a pin in it. Mm-hmm. But thank you. Thanks, man. Thanks for, for having the trust and, and faith in me as your friend mm-hmm. uh, to make this a safe place to have this conversation. Yeah. And thank you for having the stones to uh, to have this conversation so that it connects to and helps others. By others hearing your voice, you are empowering them mm-hmm. to to step forward and to move forward in their life instead of staying in the dark. Yeah. Well, that's just it. I mean... I'm sure we can, you know, look at a, a networking. If there's other, you know, other police officers that want to come and talk, then, you know, I I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't have any compunction about maybe being here beside their side. And it's like, listen, we know what's going on in your world. You, you're free to talk here. Like I was saying when I walked into the door, this is my very first podcast, and for years I've tried to be the gray man, but. I was telling the girlfriend that I'm, I was wavering between saying, fuck it, I'm not going to come and do the podcast to like, okay, now I have to do the podcast because you have to get out there and you have to talk about it. So, and yeah. if you don't, it's, it's still there. It's still burning underneath your feet. It's still there. It's not going anywhere. So yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. All right, Ron. Thank you. Thanks brother. You're listening to operation Tango Romeo, the drama recovery podcast. <laughs> everybody thanks for tuning in now i've got a favor to ask you and i know everybody asks for the same favor but it's really really important if you can help do your little bit by going to apple podcasts leaving a rating and a comment that would be awesome also on your favorite podcast platform whether that be spotify anchor google podcasts or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back please click Follow. And if there's an option there for rating, please do so. And this is why. Every time you click like, leave a rating, leave a comment, what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast. The help that you can't find doesn't help at all. So help other people find this so that they can help themselves. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And as always, share, share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring.